This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where lawmakers are getting religion without actually admitting it, passing a bill requiring a mandatory minute of silence before school begins. Speaking of schools, a constitutional amendment to impose eight-year term limits on members of your local school board clears another hurdle in the state Senate. A House committee passes a bill designed to get rid of those pedestrian crossings that use flashing yellow lights. The sponsor says they should be red or not at all. The annual fight over alimony reform plays out today in a House subcommittee. On today's Sunrise interview, we talk with Senator Manny Diaz about his bill that eliminates local regulations over vacation rental platforms like Airbnb. He says that's the state's responsibility. We'll also have your calendar of events and our regular feature on Florida Man, who is getting a mental health exam after threatening to assassinate the president. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, February 11th. A bill requiring teachers in Florida public schools to lead their students in a moment of silence each day gets the blessing of a budget subcommittee in the House. House Bill 737 is sponsored by Jacksonville Representative Kim Daniels. A minimum of one minute, no more than two minutes of silence at the beginning of each school day in Florida public schools. Thirteen other states have legislated uh, this, this law <clears throat> and they are experiencing positive results. Recent research proves that few people are able to experience even a moment of quiet reflection before plunging into daily life activities, especially our youth in public schools. Our students would be served well during this moment of silence to collect themselves for the day ahead to make a mental or emotional transition from a hectic situation before school is started. Daniels tries to downplay the religious aspects of her bill by calling it a moment of silence or meditation. Then again, she also calls herself an apostle with Kimberly Daniels Ministries International and the Spoken Word Ministry. Devin Graham with American Atheist says she's not fooling anyone about the true intent of her bill. Atheist, agnostic, humanist, and religiously unaffiliated constitute 25% of the population of Florida, and that number is growing. This is a significant portion of the population that is not often taken into consideration. The sponsors of this bill claim that this moment of silence is innocuous and neutral. However, this bill is amending the statute called Permitting Study of the Bible and Religion. How is this non-religious? How is this neutral when it explicitly is in reference to the teachings of Judeo-Christian scriptures? The sponsors also claim that this bill is in the best interest of our children, that they just need a moment to relax. I'm a developmental neuropharmacologist by training. I am more than well aware of the research involving the benefits of mitigating stress during development. And I've contributed to this field by publishing multiple peer-reviewed articles and journals about this topic. If students didn't already have the opportunity to take this moment for themselves, to meditate or pray in schools or do what they wish, this would be a different matter. But they already do. This should not be mandated. Also, as a mother of two children enrolled in Florida's public schools, I'm concerned for those students who choose not to participate with what might be considered a typical response, especially given the explicit Judeo-Christian roots of this bill. While sponsors assure us that nothing will happen to those kids during those one to two minutes, I fear for the retribution that will happen when the silence is over. So I can only hope when a student chooses not to bow their heads or close their eyes, who brings the Quran or the Bhagavad Gita into class to read, or chooses to pour over the litanies of Satan, or perform a silent satanic ritual at their desk, 
that their First Amendment rights would be acknowledged and they will be afforded the same courtesy and protection as their peers. Because if they're not protected for invoking their First Amendment rights, the resultant lawsuits and legal battles that will undoubtedly follow will be more costly than what you have in mind while deliberating appropriations. So on the web pages, on your house web pages for each and every single one of you, you um, cite Christianity as your religion. And I, that's great. That's fine. I respect that. I used to be one of you. But not everyone believes as you do. The First Amendment gives us the freedom of religion, any religion, or no religion at all. Daniel's bill has now cleared two House subcommittees, but it still has to be heard by the Education Committee before it can reach the floor. The Education Committee in the Senate votes to put a constitutional amendment on the fall ballot, imposing an eight-year term limit on members of your county school board. Senator Dennis Baxley says incumbents have too much power, and term limits are the best way to get fresh faces on the board. We're not legislating anything. We're not telling people what to do. We're letting the people tell us what they want to do. I think it's quite presumptuous to think that whoever's in office knows best and should stay there forever. Uh, none of us are irreplaceable. Uh, it's not about us. It's about the people and the people that we serve. And clearly, I think they deserve a chance to choose that. The, the specific focus on school board members because they're very much like uh, legislators and there's a lot of talent there that's never seen and never utilized and I understand it's easier to manage when you know superintendent can go to each board member and gets a working relationship and gets the thing rolling but occasionally you need some new insight you need fresh eyes and you certainly need the discussion of an election and that's just not going to happen as often when the power of incumbency is what we know it is. Maybe the only name they know. But if we open it up and ask the people, how do you want to handle these elections? And uh, we'll carry it out. So this is not an implementing bill. It's not even an advocacy. It's saying, let's ask the people what they think. Because we suspect that many, many people do want a more open government that is more more transitional, more responsive, and less powered by incumbency. And we're going to see if that's true or that's not true. And uh, as far as uniformity across the state, this is the way we run elections. I mean, you have to have a statewide policy or you have chaos. And uh, so that's why it is in the Constitution, and that's why it can only be addressed in the Constitution. We will never be able to legislate this. This would have to be a statement by the people as to what they want to do as the state of Florida. So all I'm asking is give them a chance to tell you what they want to do. If they don't want to, then we'll stay with what we've got. If they do want to, then we can spread the same kind of reform that was spread throughout the state legislature. But Senator Janet Cruz wonders why this amendment is limited to members of the school board. I feel like all this legislation does is allow Florida voters to decide on the term limit issue but it's only for school board members. It's not for sheriffs, it's not for clerks of the court, it's not for property appraisers. And you know, I think school districts are complex and I'm all, I'm all in for fulfilling the will of the voters, but I think the fact that we're only targeting school board members is a red flag for me. I'm also a little worried about legislating from Tallahassee what our, um, what our counties and our local uh, government understands better than we do. Lawmakers like Cruz and Baxley are already term limited to eight consecutive years in the same office. 
So is the governor and all three members of the state cabinet. Ever seen those crosswalks in the middle of a street where pedestrians can hit a button and yellow lights begin flashing so people can cross? Representative Randy Fine wants to get rid of them. There's a type of signaling device out there called a yellow flashing light. Um, the pedestrian will push the button, the lights will begin to flash, and then the pedestrian will walk out into the street. Yellow does not mean stop. Red does. And so we have created with these beacons a false sense of security that people believe that they push the button, the yellow light is flashing, and the cars will stop, and in many, time, in many cases they do not. This bill is focused on 191 mid-block crosswalks that are owned and operated by the state, as well as similar mid-block crosswalks that are operated by counties and city governments on roads that are larger than, four, that larger than two lanes or the speed limit is, is greater than 35 miles an hour. It would say you cannot have these type this these types of devices you either must remove them or you must um, put in sort of a traditional red light for when people need to cross the street where people know to actually stop the car I am doing this bill in honor of Sophia Nelson she was a sixth grader at Surfside Elementary she loved dolphins and her favorite color was blue while we were enjoying our Christmas break on December 22nd she pushed a yellow button her family was there the cars began to stop. She thought she was safe because the light was flashing. And she went out into the street and she got run over. She got killed. My understanding is the person who did it says, I just didn't know. Yellow doesn't mean stop. Red does. In fact, to some people, yellow means speed up. The light's going to turn red. I better go faster. The father, Mark Nelson, said his daughter pressed the button and activated the lights, waited for several cars to pass, then stepped into the crosswalk during a long gap before the next car. But the oncoming vehicle did not stop and struck her. The problem with these devices is they create a false sense of security. If there's no light at the crosswalk and it's busy, I know, I better be careful. But when someone pushes that button and the lights start to flash, she thought she was safe. That was something we allowed to happen. We allowed those devices to exist. And now we have the opportunity to say they don't work and let's get rid of them. There were 5,433 pedestrian deaths in Florida between 2008 and 2017, making this the most dangerous state in the country. Florida's pedestrian mortality rate is almost twice the national average. A bill that would end so-called permanent alimony goes before the House Justice Appropriations Subcommittee today. HB 843 is the latest in a long line of bills designed to blow up the existing system and put more emphasis on temporary alimony. This bill sets a cap that says you can only last about half as long as the marriage, so if you divorce after 10 years, alimony could only go for five years. Supporters of the bill, which includes so-called men's rights groups, say they're trying to get rid of permanent alimony, but the family section of the Florida Bar says there's really no such thing. There is long-term alimony, but they they say terms like permanent alimony or lifetime alimony are intentionally misleading. Next up, a chat with Senator Manny Diaz, who has another preemption bill teed up and ready to roll in committee today. He wants to get rid of any local regulations over vacation rental platforms like Airbnb, HomeAway, and FlipKey. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. We all know that guy who says he knew Trump was going to win long before election night. Had he known about Predict It, he could have put his money where his mouth was and made a little extra cash in the process. Predict It is like the stock market for politics. You can buy and sell shares in future events and elections, both foreign and domestic. During the 2018 midterms, Predict It beat other national pollsters like Nate Silver in election night predictions, and it wasn't even close. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. He said, she said listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org promo FLAPOL.
Welcome back to Sunrise. There's another battle over state preemption of local government taking place at the Capitol today. The issue is a bill by Senator Manny Diaz of Hialeah that says the state will be in charge of regulating vacation rental properties, not city governments. What's gone on, especially in Florida, number one, as a, as a growth state and, and an incre- a state that, that depends on tourism as one of its main economic engines, I think the vacation rental um, issue has spread across the state and it's part of the economy it's part of our tourism um kind of what, what makes it attractive to come to florida and so i think because of the fact that we've had a patchwork of policies across the state we've gotten to the point similar to when we dealt with uber that we have to um put in uh, blanket uniform regulations so that we can have a steady market a predictable market and also provide protection for property owners was there any specific local regulation that was causing the problem? I mean, did, did any governments go too far? Yeah, I think when you have a complete prohibition, it, it, it violates, you know, property rights. And that's that's kind of a fundamental thing in this country, and especially in the state, is, you know, somebody owns a property, and now you're going to prohibit them from doing something that is that is, that is legal uh, in, in state law and across the state. And I think that causes consternation. Also understanding that there are issues um, with neighborhoods, with neighbors, and we want to be respectful of that. And that's why we want to put in these predictable uniform regulations. And your bill would call for it to be regulated by uh, DBPR. And I, I wonder, can, can they handle that? I mean, there's a, they've already got a pretty full plate for inspecting the, the hotels, the motels, the, the, the other units that are out there. They absolutely can. We've had the conversation with them. And, and really, the... the um, the inspections come in when there is a complaint or a violation. They're not preemptive. Um, there's, you know, there's also the possibility always of them being able to partner up with local governments if that is something that is beneficial to them to help enforce the state, you know, regulations. I'm sure that local governments are going to be are, are going to be willing to do that because they want to make sure that what's going on in their backyard is is within the law and following regulations. Now, you're also trying to get at the black market, calling it the black market, the, the people who aren't registered. is Would your bill call for any sort of registration with the state and with the tourism development councils? It would It would actually call for uh, the registration is, that is done with the state already to be posted on the platforms. Now, we're not regulating the Internet. We want to be clear about that. But we are uh, uh, forcing them to identify the license. And if a license is not valid or has been pulled, and is the responsibility of the platform to pull that um, listing from there so it can no longer uh, be used. It also does uh, provide information and reporting to um, the entity that would be collecting the taxes in this case. In a lot of cases, that those would be either a municipality or a county. And that's information they don't have now. A lot of us have told us they don't even know where there are some of these vacation rentals in their, in their local area. So it's going to be very helpful for local governments to be able to collect their taxes it's going to be uh, helpful for them to be able to identify where these uh, vacation rentals are. And, 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 it's, and obviously, it does not remove their ability to pass local ordinances. As long as those local ordinances, whether it be for noise, parking, or whatever, acro- uh, you know, apply to all properties in the area where they have uh, designated these ordinances. You mentioned the noise thing. And frankly, that's the biggest complaint I've heard from folks who have you know, these airbnbs as neighbors that they're, they're basically used as party houses people come in for a week trash the place and then leave is is there any sort of enforcement mechanism that local government could have if it gets out of hand 
Absolutely, and, I, and, I, and I've had this conversation uh, because this is a totally different bill from what we've seen before. And local governments are absolutely allowed to enforce local ordinances with reference to parties. And as a matter of fact, you know, if some, if one of these properties becomes a party house, it, it, it no longer fits the definition of a residential of a vacation rental. So I think that that's where where uh, the locals would have the ability. Uh, and, we went, and we're trying to clarify that and make sure that they understand that they do have the ability to enforce that because this doesn't intend for us to create, uh, you know, a bunch of party houses across the state. What it intends to do is allow the locals to uh, have the uh, uniform regulation across the uh, state that's predictable, but at the same time allow them to enforce things that are not within that. And a party house would, would, and noise would definitely be something that they could enforce. Gotcha. Now, the last time this was up in committee, the bill passed, but several senators did express concerns. I, I remember Oscar Brainin talked about anti-discrimination language. Is that going to be written into the bill? That is going to be in our strike call next week. I think a lot of the concerns that you heard during that committee, we have been working tirelessly, and I really have to give credit to our staff and, and, and all the stakeholders, tirelessly to try to listen to the concerns of local governments, the hotels, senators on the committees uh, that where, where it has passed and where it's going to go next. So we have we are continuing to make changes as we go along to try to get, listen, nothing's ever perfect, but we're trying to get to a, a good bill that really addresses the problem while leaving the flexibility to local governments. And, and you know, I do want to mention that not only is the discrimination policy going in, but it's also, we're also grandfathering in any uh, ordin- local ordinance that it was passed before 2011. And that means that if you have ordinance uh related to vacation rentals that were passed before, then they stay intact. We don't remove those. We don't preempt those. Uh, the Restaurant and Lodging Association also has a beef with this. They, they think basically this is cutting into their turf. Uh, do they have a valid concern? Listen, I, well, look, I'm a free market guy, and I, and I think that this is a phenomenon like Uber, and I understand a hotel is a hotel and a vacation rental is, a, is kind of a different animal because uh, usually folks that come to stay at a, at a, at a hotel have a, certain profile or certain, you know, a mission in what they're doing, whether it's for work or for vacation. And, and oftentimes vacation rentals uh, are used for large, you know, they accommodate more people. Um, most of the time they're longer stays. They're, they're located in specific areas. So I, I think there's, you know, there's clearly room for both in, in the market. And innovations uh, are going to continue to occur in the free market. We have to be able to adjust to them and sometimes provide the proper regulation. Understood. Now, also, I, I, the, the League of Cities and the Association of Counties also have a beef with this, mostly because of preemption. Um, it, and and their, their point is that they think the legislature has gone too far with preemption, that it's the standard default answer whenever they disagree with a local government policy. How would you uh, answer that? I think that this is, because we're a tourism state and it's of utmost importance to the state as a whole and our economy, it's gotten to the point where it's grown too much and there's too many different patchwork regulations and in some places it's the wild west and there are no regulations and so we have to provide number one predictability for the market um, protections for private property but at the same time i think this bill goes a long way to try to uh, you know meet the the concerns of local government still allowing them to pass uh, local ordinances with regards to noise parking occupancy those type of things without having them just have blanket prohibitions and saying no, because at the end of the day, you know, somebody owns that property and they have property rights. And this, this battle's been going on for a couple of years now. Is what makes it different this year? Is it passable? I think it is, and I think the, the the difference this year is that we have gone above and beyond to try to really bring the groups together. 
Um, and, and, and there's been some emphasis, uh, especially from uh, Senator Wilton Simpson, which was at the, the chair of the first committee stop, where he has said, you know, we want all sides to get together and contribute to this product so we can make it a good product. It's time to solve this issue because it's not going away. And I, and I think everyone on all sides realizes it's not going away. And so um, we have a good vehicle here to try to address all those needs. I think I'm good. Is there something you wanted to say that you did not get a chance to say yet? No, I mean I think this is uh, this is a wild ride, and you know these things uh, at this time in session can can either take off and pass, or you know they can they can go sideways. So I, I think we're uh, we feel good about where it is right now, and we continue to work with the stakeholders to try to get a product that will satisfy all the concerns from local government to the hotel and restaurant uh, folks, and, and and obviously the the private property owners and the platforms. The Senator's preemption bill is on the agenda today in the Senate Commerce and Tourism Committee, which meets at 10. The House Ways and Means Committee is holding a workshop at 9.30 to discuss tax relief. At 10, the Senate Agriculture Committee takes up a bill by Senator Debbie Mayfield, expanding a state law that prevents harassment of hunters, trappers, and people who are fishing. The Senate Criminal Justice Committee meets at 10 to hear a bill by Senator Tom Wright of New Smyrna Beach that increases penalties for bear poachers. The Florida Developmental Disabilities Council, the ARC of Florida, the Florida Public Transportation Association, and the Florida Commission for the Transportation Disadvantaged is holding a news conference and rally at 10.30 on the steps of the Old Capitol. Senator Jason Pizzo of North Miami Beach is holding a news conference at 11 to talk about efforts to expand access to dental care. The Department of Agriculture is releasing an updated forecast for the citrus growing season at noon. State Representative Adam Hattersley of Riverview is hosting a press conference at the Capitol at 1 to highlight legislation to change the Florida Endangered and Threatened Species Act. Now, the existing law requires the state to implement federal regulations of the landmark conservation law. Hattersley's bill would ensure that regardless of rollbacks at the federal level, Florida would continue to safeguard the endangered and threatened species at the current level. The House Agriculture and Natural Resources Appropriations Subcommittee meets at 1.30. They'll take up a bill by Representative Randy Fine, increasing penalties for numerous types of pollution violations. The House Governmental Operations and Technology Appropriations Subcommittee meets at 1.30, and the Senate Banking and Insurance Committee meets at 2. Both of those committees will take up bills to repeal the state's no-fault auto insurance system. At 2, the Senate Judiciary Committee considers a bill by Senator Tom Lee requiring employers to use the federal e-verify system to check the immigration status of new hires. The House Appropriations Committee meets at 4. They'll take up a proposal by Representative Ralph Masulo that would make a series of changes to improve school security. The bill implements many of the recommendations from the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School Public Safety Commission, which was created after the mass shooting at Parkland in 2018. And it's time once again for the continuing adventures of Florida Man, who is usually his own worst enemy. A Florida man is hospitalized for a mental health evaluation after being accused of threatening to assassinate Donald Trump. Roger Hedgepath was arrested outside the White House after he approached a Secret Service police officer and said, I'm here to assassinate President Donald Trump. He told the officer he planned to do it with a knife, which the officer confiscated. The Secret Service says he was a missing endangered person and a mental health patient. And a Florida man phones the cops to say he's been shot at by a drug dealer that he just robbed and stabbed. Police in Boynton Beach say 33-year-old Victor Morell called them twice after the guy put a bullet in the driver's side window and the windshield of his car. Investigators say Morell met the victim through a gay dating app and stole a briefcase full of methamphetamine. The victim came after him with a knife, but Morell clobbered him with a bag of drugs, grabbed the knife, and stabbed him. The victim then grabbed a gun that had fallen from the bag and fired two shots as Morell drove away. Morell's been charged with robbery and aggravated battery. 
That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.